This podcast was proudly produced by NZ Audio Editors. For all your editing services, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.nzaudioeditors.com. Ryan J. Melson and Greg Mole from One Plan for Retirement would like to welcome you to the NZ Guide to Financial Freedom. In this podcast, we'll break down the psychological tools and financial framework you need to live the life you want to ensure you don't run out of money before you run out of life. So... This is my first uh, educating experience with Greg on TikTok, but uh, and also our first live experience. So, hello everyone from LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, and we'll get cracking. Hi. <laughs> we don't actually know if it's working, but no, we'll, we'll no. try. TikTok's definitely working. And uh, if anyone has a question on TikTok as we flow through, Jordan's going to read it out, and then we're going to answer it if there is questions. Or maybe no one ever watches our first live, and this will be a good historic representation. But anyways, we're talking about the economy, Greg. There's plenty to talk about with the economy at the moment. But there was one in particular um, where the the US, the Fed, they're printing money by the bucket load and they're calling it quantitative easing. And a lot of people are using that as an excuse to go on things like Bitcoin because they're worried that the economy is going to implode if they keep printing money. What are your thoughts on that, Greg? Well, the economy and the you know, governments always have the ability to print money. I mean, but... You know, what controls that process is they're always wanting to ensure that money retains its value. Now, the extreme example of a government printing money would be the Weimar Republic in the 1920s. Uh, we basically ended up having to go to the supermarket or the dairy with a wheelbarrow full of currency to buy a packet of cigarettes. Mm. You know, that's just an extreme view. So essentially... When they're talking about quantitative easing, uh, the governments are actually buying bonds. So they're taking money out of the economy to to try and work as to whether they want to bring it back so that it doesn't get out of control. Or, in fact, the other way, if you say you're printing money, it's about stimulating the economy. Um What's happening globally, I think, which is more relevant, is that interest rates are going up at what they call the long end. So 10-year-plus bonds, interest rates have gone up. And that's happened here as well. Short-term interest rates are still quite low. And that's really saying that there's a bit of a um, confidence in the global economy going forward that you you want to be in a situation where it doesn't get overstimulated and therefore... You know, you start getting this sort of inflationary effect. It's kind of bizarre in New Zealand at the moment in a low inflation, low interest rate environment that we're seeing, you know, all this information come through. And I saw in the news this morning about, you know, Palms to North properties going up by 33% over the last six months. Yeah, and you go, what the heck's happening? I mean, that doesn't make a lot of sense other than. It's a supply and demand situation. It's also um, people perhaps chasing better returns from rentals, if it is an investment rental 
time uh, surge than they would get from money in the bank. And, you know, that's kind of rational in a way, but it could become unhinged because, you know, becoming a, a property renter, uh, a property investor is is not a, a passive type of thing to do. It, it's, it's, there's an element of risk, mm. you know, that you could pay too much for the property, you could borrow too much, uh, you could find that you lose your tenant, you've got all these attendant costs that are coming up that the government's wanting uh, the properties to be um, uh, healthy homes, a good thing, but that just loads more and more responsibility on the on the landlord. And you know, not every tenant is a good tenant. Some of these people cause a lot of damage and a lot of hassle. And again, the, the new rules are suggesting it's pretty hard to get rid of them. We're going to get harder to get rid of mm. them. So... It's not something that I think mums and dads should go into uh, willy-nilly without thinking through. The professional property investors understand it's a business. They take a business-like approach to it, and they understand the risks involved. Um, mums and dads don't. You know, they do up this house, and it looks like their own, and they bring tenants in, and you know, in the event that the house gets trashed, it's a pretty hard lesson for them to learn and they're not going to be like one of my clients many years ago I was really impressed with this couple every weekend they'd go around and tidy up the property that they had rented out Mm. so they were constantly on top of the maintenance and making sure that you know the property was being looked after by the tenant Um, how many people would actually do that most people can't even look after their own property Mm. let alone someone else's property Mm, this is luck. Yeah. So, you know, the economy, the, you know, the economy seems to uh, be doing much better than expected. Um, internationally, things seem to be on the improve. Uh, will they be on the improve in New Zealand? Well, you know, you look at the latest dairy prices, you know, record highs. So um, we're in a situation where the world is still wanting our product. So that's really good for our primary industries. So yeah, it's a, it's a it's constantly a balancing act. Mm. And you know, you mentioned the people flying off to buy bitcoins and bits and pe- they're all the spec. There's always speculators out there. And we were talking before about uh, the new phenomenon where you've got the people buying to the share market, mm. which is easy. Shearsies, yeah. Shearsies, yeah, I'm always getting it wrong. (laughs) And I just couldn't, you know, there's an old saying, uh, a story about um, Mr. Rockefeller, who we all know made a lot of money, being um, told by the shoeshine boy while he was shining his shoes that uh, these are the shares to buy in the share market. So Mr. Rockefeller went and sold everything. (laughs) Because when the shoeshine boy is telling you what to buy, it's time to get out of the market. (laughs) And, of course, what we now got was all these young people, uh, including my 12-year-old son, who says, Dad, can I borrow some money from you so I can, you know, open up a shares easy? Shares easy. That was closer. Yeah, closer. <laughs> okay, I'm going, you've got to be joking, son. How much money have you, do you want to lose? He said, well, it's not my money. It's yours. <laughs> Smart kid. Smart yeah. kid. Well, yeah, the, you probably have some themes in, in your past as well, like the – I was watching this financial journalist and he was saying that it's quite a useful thing with clients to have all the headlines from the past and and what subsequently actually happened in the market because fear sells more papers than truth. 
So it, it'd be quite interesting. Do you have a points in history where everyone was talking about how the economy was going to implode or the economy is going to go crazy and it didn't quite go to go to plan? Look, you're dead right. I mean, the, the problem, you know, with forgetting the past and is that you know the past will come back and rehaunt you from the point of view that you know, if you don't remember history, you're doomed to repeat it. So when we think about things like what you're saying, I, the word I'd use, and I remember using it to clients at the time, people thinking like Chicken Little, the, the sky's going to fall in. You know, when the economy's going down uh, in a downward path, People are kind of like lemmings. They're rushing to the edge to jump off. It's almost a race to kill yourself first. Mm. And it means like, it's like when you're an investor, um, you're really going to do well if you take a contrarian type approach, which means you're, you're going against the herd. The herd constantly gets it wrong. The herd will, like lemmings, rush off a cliff. Whereas you go, well, maybe it's the other way. So when the market's actually going down, maybe it's an opportunity to buy good quality investments at much, much lower prices than you would have had to pay before. So it's a time to invest, not deviate, de you know, not to sell off. De is that deviate? Deviate, yeah. Devest? And de oh, devest. Devest. Oh, okay. You can know words, are A new you? word. Yeah, the, I like it, devest. But yeah, it's hard because... You know, one of the things that you and I um, are interested in from the financial area is not necessarily, uh, you know, how would I put it, the, the money side. It's the psychology behind. It's the behavior. How do people behave? And people often behave irrationally. Mm. So when the market's going down, they want to sell. When the market's going up, they want to buy. Um, that's not to say you shouldn't buy when the market's going up. But you should take your profits. You should rebalance. You should make sure that you don't step outside your risk temperament. You know, if you are a conservative investor, you shouldn't go from being conservative to aggressive because the market's going up. Mm. What you should do is remain conservative and take your profits and rebalance. Um, if you're an aggressive investor and the market's sort of looking a bit uneasy, you don't sell off. You, you basically stick to your guns and work your way through the ups and downs. Mm. Now, we saw that the other day with uh, uh, an insurance agent who <laughs> thinks he's a financial advisor, um, basically saying to his clients, oh, um, last year when the COVID sort of uh, scenario all hit us and markets were declining, that it'd be a good time to, to divest, to sell, mm. to move from a... A, a growth portfolio to you know, a default or cash portfolio, um, which is natural for people to do. Mm. You know, I field those phone calls for clients, and it's my job to just you know hold their hand, bring them back to reality. Say, what is it that we're trying to achieve longer term? Why would we worry about the noise in the markets as long as we're sensibly invested in quality assets? which is basically the process that we're able to do because we use managed funds rather than direct. Not to say that direct isn't good, it's just I don't know which of the direct shares are going to be good and which aren't. Things can sneak up on you. A managed fund for me is a much way, better way of um, balancing the budget to hedging the bet, so to speak. So this 
advisor who apparently thinks he gives really good advice um, told people to basically sell and and then of course then they go the yo-yo effect at the bottom of the selling and then you know they wait till it goes up again and then they buy mm. i mean that's a good way to lose money mm. you know you lose money on the way down and you pay too much on the way up um, a good advisor doesn't try and time the markets a good advisor says let's make sure that whatever investment arrangement you've got is consistent with your particular risk temperament or profile. So if you're a entrepreneurial, if you're a, an aggressive investor, if you're hands-on, you'll take a lot more risks than those who are near or, or retired who want to preserve what they've got and ensure that they've got enough money to do the things they want to do and, as we always say, not run out of money before they run out of life. It's a great line. The crowd always there's a hush in the crowd when you say it quite yeah, consistently. Hits them well. Is it just staying in the economic standpoint? Is there certain points that they are pretty hairy? Like, what would be one of the hardest points throughout your financial advising career where you get those calls from clients and the the economy's gone the wrong direction and the markets haven't helped? And- well, I started in the business in, in mid to late 1987, and of course, a lot of people lost a lot of money in the share market crash in 87 because yeah, it had been on the sort of uh, euphoric sort of roller coaster ride up and no down. And people were saying, well, why would I go to work? I've made more money sitting at home and, you know, I've done this and I've done that. And you could write a a prospectus on the back of uh, a notepad and and the market would buy it. I remember a chap doing that. I think it was for Possum Furs on the South Island and um, basically listed the prospectus and the share price went mad. Uh, Of course, it all collapsed Mm. in, in late 87. Well, I went through that, but... The reality is I didn't lose any no, – I, I didn't have any clients, so none of my clients lost any money. It was – I can always say my clients didn't lose money in 1987. It was only because I didn't have any. Yeah, um, yeah. Otherwise, they would have lost because a percentage of their money would have been in the share market. Mm. Uh, consequent to that, it's really hard to get people to put money into the share market because they had this mental sort of block. Mm. You know, the share market is gambling. No, it's not. It's a sensible way of investing some of your money because you're investing in businesses uh, run collectively for your benefit and the benefit of others. If you think about the products we buy on a day-to-day basis, they're effectively manufactured, produced, um, provided by companies that investing in those companies is a very sensible thing to do because if those companies are well run, you'll get a return much better than you will get somewhere else from a passive point of view. But it was really hard to get people to buy into the share market back then. You had to be quite persuasive. Uh, Then we had a sort of a, a lovely period of time for about seven years till we went through the bond market crash of 1994 and that was precipitated by interest rates in the US effectively doubling. Mm. The Federal Reserve doubled, I think, from 3 to 6%, uh, precipitated a, a crash in the bond market, and people in conservative portfolios took a, took a bit of a hiding. But only if they sold. If they just weathered the storm, they'd come out the other side because there was a 
basically uh, the market's resettled. Uh, the only people who lose money in that situation are the ones who have sold or the people who have put money into, um, if you like, interest-bearing investments that are far, far riskier than they appear to be. And we saw some of that in the in the mid two thousands, the they used to call them CLOs or CCOs, the the basically mortgage type arrangements where the 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 assets supporting the mortgage was built on sand, and and uh, you know they were they were just dreadful things. People borrowing uh, money at interest rates that were improbable. Um, the people who were providing the security you know, really weren't the sort of people you'd want to lend money to. It, it just was a, just an absolute mess. And some of the banks got caught up in that a little bit. But so 94 was a bit of a wake-up, and that's what concerns me now, and it actually concerned me for a number of years, is that if we see interest rates move up rapidly, mm. it will precipitate a, a bond sell-off. So our advice consistently has been to be uh, at the short end of the interest or the fixed interest spectrum. Yeah. So it's sort of one to three years rather than ten year, seven to ten plus because if interest rates go up, the capital value of those bonds will come down. And given that most of our clients are you know, either balanced or conservative investors, they'll have at least half their money in interest-bearing investments. Yeah. So it's generally at the short end rather than long-term end in this market and has been for some time. What's been tricky, of course, is that actually over the last three to five years, interest rates haven't gone up. They've just steadily come down. Mm. But how much further can they fall? And will they stay down? And and the, I think the tide is starting to turn. But the probably the toughest period of time that I've ever been in is that period from 2000 to 2003. I really take my hat off to the sort of clients that were looking at using people such as myself as advisors because it was a tough time because year on year uh, portfolios, balanced portfolios had negative returns. And it was a combination of a whole lot of things. Uh, But most of it around the share market volatility um, you know, had um, effectively a, a recession in the US and and the um, much of the the developed world. Uh, New Zealand was kind of still doing okay, but we hadn't done that well in the 1990s. But we're doing better in the 2000s. But from 2000 to 2003 in the US, there was a effectively a, a long term recession. You then had 9/11. Uh, where the market sort of, you know, having been down, bounced and, and then came back down again, just to move headlong into um, what we call the Enron and WorldCom debacle, um, where suddenly, you know, the share market did another big sell-off. And, um, you know, that was really tough. But, you know, just as it's always darkest before the dawn, mm. right at the end of 2003 was a wonderful time to, to invest because the market just went screaming up for the next four to five years. Mm. And so if you were there, you benefited, but you had to hold on because no one would have been smart enough to have been cashed up and then put the money in there. 
Mm. I did some see some advisors uh, who did over that period just kind of lose um, how would I call it their confidence, and I can understand it because the clients would be in their ear giving them Three you know, years. yeah blah 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 negative returns negative what should we do, and you'd say well look it's a it's a you know medium to long term gain you've just got to stay in there if you're saving uh, you'll be winning. If you're spending, you're in a conservative portfolio, so you're just spending a bit. You've got to hang in there. And if you did, you're fine. But a number of the advisors cash their portfolios or succumb to the pressure of, you know, it's that chicken little thing, the sky's going to fall in, cashed up the portfolio, sat in cash, and never moved out of it. So they missed the bounce. Mm. And, you know, that was a pretty hard period of time. Yeah. And... Uh, it eroded the confidence of a lot of advisors, even those that stuck with it. Uh, it cleaned the industry out because a lot of people just couldn't handle that anymore. Um, they were good people, but it was just just too hard. So any point is uh, either advisors listening or people that are trying to invest themselves or any point is on navigating those experiences where it's not going anywhere? Well, the the, the issue, I suppose, is... If you do things yourself, if you manage your own investments, um, good luck to you because you've got to, you know, interpret the noise. You've got to look at the big picture. But my experience is that often you're too close to the coalface and you're going to panic. You know, when you keep reading or listening to negative news, you're going to become negative and you're going to panic and you'll crystallise a loss. Because, you know, a loss is not a loss until you crystallise it. If something's fallen in value, it's unrealised. Mm. You just you just have to suck it up. And you say, well, if I had the money in the bank, I'd be getting interest. Not much at the moment. You know, that's, money in the bank is just a temporary place to park your money till you do something more meaningful with it. But, you know, if you've got a good advisor someone that you have confidence in, a trusted advisor, the trusted advisor will look through the noise, remind you about why you're investing in the first place. And remember, why do you invest? Why, why do I why, invest? Yeah, why, does a, why does someone invest money? Well, I imagine it's to achieve the lifestyle and outcomes you want in life, or you're just gambling because you're trying to have a bit of fun and want to lose your money and make a lot of money. Well, yeah, but I call that speculation. You know, why do people invest? I mean, at the end of the day, if we had an income for life and we were happy to live within that income, you'd be able to spend everything you earned. You wouldn't worry about it. And you might budget because you want to buy something that's a capital item and it, it might take you several months to save for it, and then you'd buy it. The reason why we invest, if you really come down to it, is we invest so that instead of working for money, the money invested is working for us. And there's a point of crossover when you no longer receive an income, or even in this country where you get New Zealand super, but you can't live on New Zealand super. You can exist on it, but you can't live on it. Mm. You can't do all the things that you want to do. Generally, that's my experience. So you want to have that money that's invested working for you, but at some point in time, it's going to be coming back. It will produce a permanent cash flow 
to subsidise what you or add on supplement would be a better way supplement what you're getting from New Zealand Super or some other pension or some other source so that you can continue to enjoy the lifestyle that you have at the moment. Most people would be happy to see their lifestyle continue when their income stops. Some of us would like to see it improve. Why not? Because you've now got more time to do the things you want to do. But putting things off till tomorrow is not a smart move because something can happen. So Mm. you've got to live for today as well as for tomorrow. The worrying thing is to see your lifestyle drop. Mm. Suddenly you were able to do things, travel and entertain, um, you know, buy the things you wanted when you wanted, and then your income stops and you can't do that. That's pretty depressing Mm. and not something that you would have much um, pleasure in looking forward to. We're seeing a bit of that at the moment. It's a real rude awakening to a lot of people who are, you know, just working through life, running their businesses, um, ticking along the long way from New Zealand super, um, and suddenly, because of COVID and, and, and the changes that have occurred, the rug's been pulled from beneath their feet. And I, I read the other day there's something like 16,000 businesses have failed in this country alone. Uh-huh. In the US, it's 400,000. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're probably small businesses. They're not, they might be small to medium size. They're not, you know, the Fletcher Challengers. They're not the uh, you know, Fisher and Pikels. They're not the bigger companies, but they're the smaller companies, sometimes mum and dad businesses. And that's, that's really awful. Mm. Uh, but it's a rude awakening about how temporary employment income is. Because if you're not employed, you don't get it. If your business is not there, you can't pay yourself an income. So, you know, that's something I think that we need to worry about because so far the statistics have been sort of masked by all the government payouts, and which are all good things that try and keep people afloat, but it can't be there forever. Mm. And when that penny sort of fails to turn up, and people then have to go on unemployment benefits or, or or an equivalent, you know, it's going to be very hard for those people to put themselves in the position to be investors, to be in a position when they stop paid employment to be able to maintain their lifestyle. Massively. And I, and I know we've got some time constraints today, so I think it's it's important to, to understand that the economy does cycle. There's going to be all kinds of seasons, you know, spring, summer, winter, autumn. And it's about the actual investment philosophy and the underlying structure that you have and also your ability to hold true and understanding that spring will come and making sure you're diversified so that spring does come. (laughs) Well, the sun always comes up in the morning, so there's another day. That's, again, the value for a lot of people, young and not so young, of KiwiSaver because you're just putting away money that you really wouldn't miss. If people... If people can't afford to put 3% of their gross earnings away, there's a real problem, mm. a real problem. They, you know, they, they need to have a good hard look at you know, where are they spending their money. It's interesting for you know, someone of my age group looking back and thinking that you know, when you were a student, and I was at a student at university full-time or part-time for a number of years, I think almost 12, 
that you didn't have a lot of income. So what you didn't have, you couldn't spend. So your your spending requirements effectively were controlled by the level of income. So no one was going to lend you money. And back in, back in those days, there were the credit cards that there are today. So that you basically were constrained by your income. But interestingly, as your income went up, guess what followed? People spent more. Yeah. And why shouldn't you? You know, I've got a bit more money. I can buy better clothes. Mm. I can do some travel. I can, you know, do some entertainment, you know, buy a better car, whatever. Uh, that's fair. But if you allowed your expenditure requirements to meet your income, so as your income went up, so did your expenditure requirements, basically you were broke. Mm. Without realising it, thinking I'm doing really well, I'm earning $100,000 a year, but I spend it all, you know, what a lifestyle. Yeah, but you're broke. Because when you can no longer get the 100000 the lifestyle's going to go down the toilet. Yeah. The good thing about KiwiSaver is that if you discipline yourself to save the 3% and you're in employment, your employer gives you 3%, that's 6% of your gross which is getting close to 9 to 10% of your net. You do that over 30 or 40 years, well. compounding returns will tell you that when you stop paid employment, you'll have a parcel of money sensibly invested if you're in a balanced or, or growth portfolio, not a default portfolio, um, because that 1 or 2% extra return compounded makes a difference, that you're going to be in a position where I'm yeah, going to be able to maintain my lifestyle. And if you're smart enough over that time to be debt-free, have funded your accommodation going forward, you're going to be able to live the life. Mm. But these sort of times that we're in at the moment, you can the first casualty of this sort of period will be savings. People will stop saving. They'll stop their contributions to KiwiSaver, and, you know, once they've stopped, it takes a long, long time to get people back into that sort of habit again. The answer is not to stop, just to keep going through. People though, like you and I who are self-employed, it, KiwiSaver is not the answer for us. We've got to do other things because there is no employee contribution. Yeah, true. Well, for everyone listening on TikTok, Facebook and LinkedIn, um, make sure you... Hmm? Oh, there's questions on TikTok. Oh, not questions. All right. Let's hit us with the questions there. Sorry questions? if we took so long to get back yeah, to you. Yeah, you took forever. Um, just wondering if either of you gentlemen have read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. You have yeah, thoughts yeah, on I that. Have, and I, <laughs> I have, and I've actually met the, the chap who, who wrote it. And I was got kind of appalled uh, by it because, again, it it, it sort of – Appeals to to greed and fear, you know, you know, and it was kind of interesting when I met him. He was talking about you know these projects he had for oil drilling in the oil drilling in the Gulf. Clearly not environmentally friendly, but it you know it was just speculation. And look, if you want to make a lot of money, you're not going to make a lot of money by being a, you know working in paid employment and putting money aside, compounding the returns over time using arrangements like KiwiSaver. But guess what? You won't be broke either. 
you'll be financially independent at some point in time if you know if, the, if you get the numbers right. But the rich dad poor don Mr Kiwasaki, I think his yeah. name. It was all about speculation. And what was also, Jacinda would not like him because he didn't believe in being kind. He wouldn't give a tenant a, a break if they couldn't pay the rent. He'd, he'd kick them out. You know, that's not the sort of uh, person I would want to be that, you know, you know, I, you know I, I have to win on every occasion and, and uh, maximise my returns. He'd be a great slum landlord. You know, we're in a situation where the government is actually pushing through the healthy homes legislation. I think that's great. If you're a, a landlord, any good landlord wants good, happy tenants living in in a, in a healthy type home. And, you know, we don't want to be a, a situation, I wouldn't want to be a situation where I was ripping people off, no. providing less value than they're, they're entitled to. Um, Rich, you look at Rich Dad, Poor Dad and read through it and, and it's all about greed and fear. It's not about you know, the, the, what I would call um, um, taking a realistic approach to ensuring when you cease paid employment that you'll be able to maintain the lifestyle of your choice. Hmm. Because, you know, if you get it wrong, you're broke. When you shoot for the stars and you don't make it, there's no way back. It's true. All right, well, we've got another question just for the podcast listeners that might not have heard what the question is. Just someone on uh, TikTok's asked, because we were doing this live, um, have we read Rich Dad, Poor Dad? And that what led to Greg obviously responding. So we've got another question from Jordan from NZ Audio Editors and TikTok uh-huh. people. Um, that was from Cringe 69 by the way. Cringe 69 <laughs> All right, well, shout out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Wouldn't be a speculator. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is from Elizabeth Camp 12. Elizabeth. She asked, what's your dream job? And I'm going to say you're not allowed to answer the current job. Okay. So something other than your current job, because I feel like both of you is very... Well, so, the, but we're at different spectrums, you know. That Like, I'm moving towards the end of my career, and I've been a, a financial advisor, a retirement planner for... Well, I started in 87, so what's that? That's... Uh, 34 years? Yeah, 34 years. you just got to tell the question to the podcast yeah, audience first. So the question was, what was my dream job? And it's not allowed to be my current one, which is kind of difficult, because why have I stuck to my current job, if you like to call it? I call it calling uh, for 34 years, because I find it intensely satisfying about helping people to help themselves. And fortunately, I found a formula that means it's a win-win situation. It's it's a sustainable business. Uh, Ryan, you're starting at the start, so it's a, it's, a, it's a trickier question for you because if I can tell you, caller, if I was caller. wanting to do... Caller? How's that? <laughs> yeah, caller? Elizabeth, caller. Caller, Elizabeth, caller. Elizabeth. If I was wanting to do something different from what I'm currently doing, I can tell you I'd be doing it. And Often I have that conversation with people, you know, who are actually not enjoying what they're doing. And so why are you doing what you're doing? Often it's because of the money, and that's a bit sad in, in a way, but I do understand that, that, you know, not everyone uh, lives to work. You know, most people work to live, and they can't wait for the DCM, don't come Monday, you know, when the government gives them the money that they can think that they can 
they can stop paid employment. Uh, some of them haven't done the numbers. That's why they have to continue working past 65 or see their lifestyle drop. So we're all different. Um, so it's difficult. If I wasn't doing what I'm doing now, I think I'd be a gardener. A gardener? Yeah, I love gardening. I, I, <laughs> I, I would spend a couple of hours in my garden every day and get up. Show the thumbs. Yeah. Are they green? Thumbs, green thumbs, yeah. Yeah, all right, come on. The, um, I'd get up, I'd be outside at 7 o'clock most mornings uh, and uh, just pottering around the garden and, you know, just, I enjoy doing that. But it's not going to give me... Um, a financial reward to be able to maintain all my lifestyle. Mm. Um, but, you know, that's me. What about you, Ryan? Well, it's similar. Like, so... You like gardening? No, not no, similar no, in that no. sense. He doesn't. He's hard <laughs> hard work to get no, in I the garden. I hate garden, Elizabeth. If you're curious, I hate it. Don't like it at all. But I'm glad to eat it. Um, Mum's veggie garden was great. We used to dig up the, um, the, the grass and make new gardens. So it was forced. It's conscriptive gardening, so maybe that's why I don't like it. My my dream job um, was to build a business centered around emotional success. So it is a kind of a cop-out answer because I am doing it, but I'm doing it in a tangible way. I sort of see what we do as a tangible life coach where we're actually helping pull together the numbers in a realistic sense as well as helping people live the life they want. So that's what I'd do. I'd probably be running retreats, traveling around, doing talks, and um, – helping people sort of live a more fulfilling life. And I've, the finance arm might not have been as prevalent if um didn't come across you. Yeah, I think that I, I'd, I'd agree with that answer from your perspective because I see you more interested in the life coaching side of things mm. with a financial bent because – there are life coaches out there, and they do a great job. But if you don't get the financial side right, uh, you're basically um, piddling in the wind. You know, you're just not going to achieve the result that you want to do. Piddling in the wind. There's got to be an understanding that lifestyle costs. Sorry, Where's that it. money coming? I, I was going to use another term, but I didn't want to offend anyone. No, authenticity is good, you, mate. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, authenticity. Just, it's just all hot air. So the financial side shouldn't be the predominant side. Mm. And that's one of the things that attracted me to Ryan when I met him, that he was interested in, you know, what's that? You talked about emotional experience, but it's why do people do the things they do? And, you know, what actually makes people sort of feel good about themselves? And one of the things that we do is by providing financial peace of mind. People don't worry about how they're going to maintain their lifestyle when they stop paid employment. Mm. You know, it gives them choices to do things, to help family, to you know, donate to charities, to put back into the community. Um, it, it's it, it's quite a powerful um, motivator, and I get real enjoyment out of listening to people saying, you know, telling me that they're, you know, able to do the things that they want to do and they're not worried about the financials because we've had some influence on them, given them the confidence that they can stop paid employment, that they can travel, they can assist their family, they can do things. So I've probably come at it from more the retirement planning 
mm. side of things, or you know, you could call yourself a financial coach, but that's a little bit sort of people like giving themselves labels. I loved it when the insurance guys who wouldn't have a clue about financial planning used to call themselves financial planners. I was surprised they could spell it. You know, there's two ends in planners. The um, because at the end of the day, they were just flogging product. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. And anyone flogging product, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. And, you know, you get a commission, I don't have a problem with that as all. You know, you don't sell stuff for nothing. But be true to yourself and be true to the client as to what value you're giving. What you want to do, Ryan, is give much greater value. Mm. You are the product. There was a book written many, many years ago by a guy called Lester Anderson that was given to me. And that helped turn me around to understand that I wasn't selling financial products to people, that I should be the product. People are buying me mm. to give them the sort of advice um, that they would give themselves if they knew what, what we knew. And it, it's about putting your feet in the shoes of the person you're trying to help and with the knowledge that you have to say, this is what you should do in these circumstances. And everyone's different. And that's the fun thing about our business. Everyone that you meet yeah. has a different story. <laughs> they all have a problem. There's a very common theme to the problem, which is how do I maintain my lifestyle, whatever it might cost, when my income stops? Yeah. And do you stop it at a point in time of your choosing or someone else's? That's fine. Yeah, okay. Well, this was a... Long answer to an important question. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's an art. You've got some skills, mate. Just give you one topic and you're off. Uh, so that was the first experience with the live broadcast. I think it went all right. We had to see how LinkedIn and Facebook went, but TikTok, thank you for the questions. And I think this will most likely be a continued theme. Um, Mondays, fortnightly. Some will be with Greg, some will be with guests. And I am thinking about doing a podcast with accountants and lawyers. That'll um, be exciting. Yeah, that's the problem I'm facing. So I don't yeah. know how much exposure yeah. I'll give the audience to that. Yeah. Uh, we'll play it by ear. But if you've enjoyed this, uh, leave a comment, let me know, and uh, we'll see if we can keep it going for you. So on that note, thanks, Greg. Thanks, Thank NZAudioEdits.com for um, jumping in with the questions and saving the audio. The TikTok audio, uh, if you're listening, was an NZ Audio Editor, so then you can see the difference if you go check our podcast. All right, well, thanks, everyone. I'm just going to keep saying thanks. All right, bye. See you later. Cheers. Bye. Go well. <laughs> Go well. All right.